Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the Tom Hartman Program. There is a very real possibility that the Democrats are going to pass H.R. 1, the For the People Act, the law that will end gerrymandering across the country, which means that states like Michigan and Wisconsin, where a majority of the people vote for Democrats, but you still end up with a majority of Republicans in the state legislatures controlling the the House and Senate, that's going to end that the right to vote is going to be guaranteed. That's what H.R. 1 is all about. You have a right to vote. Whether you want to vote by mail or whether you want to vote in person, you have a right to vote. And you have a right not to stand in line for 10 hours. That's all this bill does. It's very simple, very straightforward. It's just, you know, election reform. It requires that if you're going to use a voting machine, that voting machine has to produce a paper trail that can be audited. Mitch McConnell is so hysterical about this. I mean, literally hysterical. I mean, just listen to this. Tell me if this is not hysteria. This is what he said. Keep in mind, here's what he's talking about. Stacey Abrams came out and said, you guys can change, you, Chuck Schumer, you can change the Senate rules with a simple majority vote, and you control a simple majority vote with Kamala Harris as the tie-breaking vote. So change the Senate rules to keep the filibuster But there's already an exception in the filibuster. You can't filibuster budget bills. Let's add an exception to that that says you can't filibuster democracy bills. Bills that enhance democracy in the United States cannot be filibustered. And there's a very good chance that Chuck Schumer is going to introduce that rule change any day now. And as he gets closer and closer to that, and we all need to be calling 202-224-3121 and encouraging him to do that, As he gets closer and closer to that, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans are getting more and more shrill. Here is what Mitch McConnell had to say this morning as a consequence of what Stacey Abrams, you know, she wrote this op-ed and she has spoken in public also saying, well, just change the filibuster rules to allow things that have to do with not just money, but with democracy to be subject to essentially reconciliation, to be able to be passed with a simple 50-vote majority. Mitch McConnell said, Some Democrats believe this would be a tidy trade-off if they could just break the rules on a razor-thin majority. But that's not what would happen. So let me say this very clearly for all 99 of my colleagues. Nobody serving in this chamber can even begin to imagine what a completely scorched earth Senate would look like. Everything Senate Democrats did to Bush and Trump, 
everything the Republican Senate did to President Obama would be child's play compared to the disaster the Democrats would create for their own priorities if they break the Senate. Even the most basic aspects of our colleagues' agenda, the most mundane tasks of the Biden presidency, would actually be harder, not easier, for Democrats in a post-nuclear Senate. In other words, I'm going to punish you if you do this. The problem is that he doesn't have any weapons to punish with, except the future. So here he comes threatening the future. As soon as Republicans wind up back in the saddle, we won't just e erase every liberal change that hurt the country. We'll strengthen America with all kinds of conservative policies with zero input from the other side. How about this? Nation ride right to work for working Americans. In other words, no more unions. Defunding Planned Parenthood and sanctuary cities on day one. A new era of domestic energy production. <laughs> more, more carbon pollution more global climate change, sweeping new protections for conscience and the right to life of the unborn. Yeah, we're going to completely outlaw abortions like they're trying to do down in Texas. Give them the death penalty to women. Concealed carry reciprocity in all 50 states in the District of Columbia. Massive hardening of security on the southern border. So this is what Mitch McConnell is threatening Democrats with. If he could have done any of that stuff, he already would have. These are completely empty threats. And we need to be telling our senators, change the Senate rules so that you can pass H.R. 1 and get that thing into law because democracy is at stake. That's what it comes down to. Literally, democracy is at stake. So that's going on. And then third over on Fox, they've got a new segment. The Fox host Maria Bartolomo. This is from Raw Story piece by David Edwards, hosted a segment on racial awareness curriculum with Candace Owens, who is this white supremacist conservative activist. They're assuming every white kid is a racist. That's what Bartoloma said. And then Candace replied, quote, I know that Megyn Kelly pulled her kids from school for similar reasons, Owens said. I truly believe that it's time for us to pull all our kids out of school. And I know people say not all of us can afford to do that, but the country wasn't built on people having a lot of money when they were homeschooling. It's indoctrination that's happening. They're trying to fuel racism in this country. They're trying to teach this Marxist ideology. And the bad thing is, Maria, they're replacing hard academics. These kids are not learning science. They're not learning math. They're learning to hate white people. And they're learning how to hate their country. And then she goes out to say, Democrats are trying to, quote, guarantee that they have an ignorant group of people that vote based on emotion. And Bartiroma goes, this has to stop. And then Owen says, it is biased. I think parents need to start suing schools. This is all over the teaching of black history. So Fox News right now is dying on the, on the battlefield of opposing black history in schools and opposing women in the military. <laughs> Why would they do that? Because of the American Rescue Plan. That's what it comes down to. It's that simple. And freaking out because the family foundation that owns the Dr. Seuss products has decided to take six racist images from the 1930s out of general circulation.
the meme that they're sharing, and it's all over television, radio, and, and newspapers, and I'm astonished that even the news people are not dealing with this the way that they deal with Trump lies and calling it a lie. The lie that the Republicans are spreading is that only 9% of the uh, economic recovery plan, the American Rescue Plan, goes to COVID-related things. Well, let's start out with the $1,400 checks. Can we all agree that's COVID-related? I mean, we're in a recession right now, arguably a depression because of COVID. The $1,400 checks represent $424 billion. So that's almost $500 billion. In a bill that's almost $2 billion, 500 is 25% of the bill. So just the $1,400 checks are roughly a quarter of the whole bill. Where the hell is 9%? Oh, that's right. They pulled it out of their backside. Then there's another $350 billion which would be around 15% of the bill that goes to state and local aid to prevent layoffs and service cuts, again, because of COVID. Then there's another $246 billion that just goes to unemployment insurance. If it was a $1 trillion bill, that would be 24%, so it's uh, 12%, right? So 12% of it is just going to extend unemployment insurance. So right now, we're well over 50%, and I haven't even gotten into the granular stuff, then you've got the tax credits aid for children for families. That's $219 billion. That's, you know, around 10% of the bill. Now, you could say, you know, a lot of those families aren't affected by COVID. Okay, I'll give you that. But it's the right thing to do. You've got $178 billion that's going to reopen schools. That's totally COVID-related. That's, that's around 9%. That's, in fact, that may be the 9% that they're talking about where they're saying it's the only, it's only 9%. Again, a, a flat out lie. I mean, when the news reports, you know, when some Republicans say, oh, it's only 9%, why don't they say, John Cornyn today lied? I mean, come on. Next up, $109 billion going to vaccinations and healthcare. Excuse me, $176 billion. $109 billion going to farmers, small businesses, and other vital industries. They're quite hysterical about this because the top priority is what are called Basically, it's farmers who are in trouble, distressed farmers. And one quarter of them are black. And so you've got Republicans now calling this reparations. Honest to God. Farmers, small businesses, and other vital in industries, that's the $109 billion. FEMA is getting $47 billion. This is to help administer vaccines. Renters and homeowners are getting $40 billion. This, how is that not related to the COVID crisis when you've got you know, some 30 million people on the verge of, of a foreclosure? Restaurants and bars get $25 billion. How is that not COVID related? Veterans get $17 billion in assistance. Uh, you, know, you could argue that that's just catch up, but a lot of veterans can't find work right now because of COVID. And then there's this one category, $45 billion, other. Republicans are just lying through their teeth. And you need to know these facts. The poorest 20% of Americans are going to see a 20% boost in their income. Child poverty is going to be cut in half. Over a million unionized workers who are going to lose their pensions because of Trump policies are now going to keep their they're now going to keep 100% of their promised retirement benefits for the next 30 years. 
Now you could say that's not related to COVID. No, but it's the right thing to do. It could be a huge turning point for childcare in the United States, $39 billion in federal funds. It's going out as block grants to the states. It'll be crucial for childcare centers to keep their doors open. The last time the US government put this kind of money into childcare was during World War II. Millions of Americans are gonna get expanded healthcare coverage because tens of millions of Americans lost their health insurance because they lost their jobs because of COVID. So this expands the Affordable Care Act subsidies, but most importantly, it makes sure that nobody's gonna pay more than eight and a half percent of their income for healthcare. It boosts these subsidies. You get the $1,400 checks, you got the child tax credit, I talked about that. Saving public schools, $130 billion, I, I talked about that. Saving colleges and universities. The bill will feed the hungry. There's $5 billion going into the food stamp and the WIC program, women and children. $1.4 billion for feeding older people who are in poverty. $30 billion going to public transit. The Republicans are saying, oh, that's got nothing to do with COVID. Nonsense. The reason public transit's in crisis right now is because people are afraid to get on a subway because of COVID. There's $7.5 billion going to improve broadband. They're extending long-term unemployment. There's billions for uh, emergency rental assistance. Paid leave for federal employees. Help for your mortgage. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I mean, people need to understand what is in this legislation so they don't fall for these GOP lies that, oh, it's only 9% for COVID. It's a lie. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Harry in Reno, Nevada. Hey, Harry, what's on your mind today? I have a question no one seems to be asking. I thought I'd run it by you. Under the current COVID relief legislation, it seems to me the Democrats missed the perfect opportunity to uh, cancel the prior administration's huge corporate tax cut. And I was just wondering why you thought they might have neglected to include that in the bill. It might be one of the only pieces of big legislation they could get through. I don't know that they're going to get another chance to roll that back as was promised in the um, campaign. 
Last night on, I think it was CNN, one of the Democrats who participated in leading the floor fight for this COVID relief package that was just passed made the point in response to a question. Basically, the question was, you know, this this is all well and good, all this, all these benefits and all these wonderful things, but a lot of these benefits actually expire in a year or two. And I'm not just talking about the cash. You know, we get that the cash is kind of to tide us over until the economy is put back together, but there's a whole lot of really strong things that are reversing Reaganism, essentially. And was asked, are you worried about the fact that a lot of your good work is going to expire in 12 to 24 months? And the person said, you know, it's a lot harder to get things like that out of law than it is, frankly, to get them into law, which is a really good point. A lot of things have been passed through reconciliation, and then they just keep getting renewed and renewed and renewed. A lot of very good programs as well as some bad programs. And Trump's tax cut, which was passed through reconciliation, no Democratic votes. Trump's tax cut is one of those bad things that got made into law. But I think the, my sentiment is the same as that legislator last night, which is it's a lot harder to get things out of law than put them into law. Rather than just reversing Trump's tax cut, what the Democrats need to do, and I know that there, is, there are conversations about this going on right now in Bernie Sanders is the chairman of the budget committee, and over in the House, uh, Richie Neal with Ways and Means, and, and I'm not sure who's in charge of the Budget Committee in the House, but they are all having conversations about literally rewriting the United States tax code from top to bottom. It's over a million pages now. It's got more holes than Swiss cheese. It is heavily tilted toward rich people. They're also trying to repair the IRS. The IRS basically, during the Trump administration, stopped auditing rich people. They had so many people who had been laid off. Their budget had been cut numerous times. George W. Bush cut the budget of the IRS also. So they're talking about bringing IRS people back so that they can actually do audits on these tax cheats. They think that there, there, are, you know, there could be as much as $7 trillion that uh, over a decade that we could recover from rich people that not by changing the tax code or anything, it's just money that they are stealing from us by hiding it in ways that the IRS does not have the resources to find. Claw some of that money back. They've been doing it for so many years, the way the financial system is set up. We need not just to roll back the Trump tax cuts. We need to roll back the Bush tax cuts and the Reagan tax cuts. And and the problem is, in every single one of those three tax cuts, they included, they basically threw a bone to the dog, to use the old cliche. They would give 70, 80, 90% of the benefits to rich people. But there was that 10, 15, 20%, in the case of the Trump one, I think it was around 20%, 17% of the tax cuts actually went to middle class people. And so if you're going to just repeal the Trump tax cut, that's going to be spun correctly, by the way, by the Republicans as a tax increase on middle class people. So they really need to, to have their own tax legislation. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but in the United States Senate, John Thune from the Dakotas, John Thune introduced legislation yesterday into the Senate to end the estate tax. No more, t- no more taxes, income that children get because somebody in their family died. A rich concentration children. of wealth. They can't get yeah, enough Yeah, you know, fewer than 1,000 people a year pay an estate tax. This is something that only affects really rich people, and it only marginally affects them. And there's a thousand ways around it. But they still wanted to repeal it. So, so well, you know, there you go, John Some success in clawing back some of that money with the wealth tax that's been proposed. Maybe they'll roll back the... Uh, 
uh, multiple tax cuts that the corporations have gotten over the years so many times, and all the loopholes and so on. They never seem to address it. I was just worried that the Democrats were afraid of alienating their um, campaign contributors. And, well, there's um, probably some Democrats who are like that, particularly the Democrats from Delaware. <laughs> but but I have a lot of hope for this, Harry. I, I think there's a, a good possibility. Harry, thanks for the call. Chris in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, Chris, what's up? Tom, how you doing? Listen, I want somebody to put up a, a scoreboard of all the Republican states and locals that's not going to take this federal money. They have to stand on their principles. They don't want it. They didn't vote for it. They shouldn't get it. They should turn it back into the Treasury. Where since they didn't vote for it. That's my personal opinion. And, you know, I'm a business owner and I'm happy to pay my taxes. I came here without money and every year I pay my taxes. I'm happy to pay. Did you see how uh, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, responded when his senator, the Rick Scott, the senator from Florida, said, uh, you know, Florida should give the money back? DeSantis was like, huh? <laughs> Wait a minute. You know, we're not being counted properly. We're not getting enough money. <laughs> it was and hysterical, we, we, Chris. Tom, we know that Scott is just grandstanding. He doesn't believe yeah. that. He knows he can be a, a, a Monday morning quarterback, take that money and still get the benefit of saying he, he rejected it. He's full of you're absolutely right. He, you're absolutely right. He he's he's going to win from losing. He's he gets it. He gets it both ways. He gets to cliche of the week, right? He have his cake and eat it too, whatever it may be. Chris, thank you. Thank you. Spot on. Omar in Herndon, Virginia. Hey, Omar, what's on your mind today? Tom, the prophet, democracy, truth, justice, and the American way. Good day to you, sir. Good day to you, very, too. Uh, I got to be honest with you, Joe Biden really earned a point with me very quickly. First with his foreign policy and now with his domestic policy. This new bill that he signed into law, I think is a game changer. It's the biggest thing since 1932. And his new name is Joe FDR Biden from now on. The interesting that he had is helping middle class. It's helping reduce poverty. Families who have kids between 6 and 17, they can get $3,600 to help the families. So this is really a good game changer. And I think we progressive have a flag planted in the White House. What say you, Tom? Yeah. Most people don't know the details of what's in that bill. And there's some really cool stuff in there. So I'm with you. Omar, thank you. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hey, not too much. Um, Hey, I wanted to say something real quick about, you know, you were talking about a lot of uh, Reaganism and conservatism is based on a philosophy. I worked with a guy in Afghanistan. He was a young guy. I mean, he was a captain. He was in the special forces. I mean, there's no way you could say he was unintelligent. But his philosophy was so repugnant to me, and I'm sure mine was repugnant to him, that we really didn't get along too well. But I could never get him to flex. I mean, it was very important to him. He thought it was very unjust that homeless people were not paying taxes. He believed that everybody should pay something. You know, I drilled down on that, and I came to the conclusion it was based in his religious theology. Because he was a smart guy. He learned Arabic just to proselytize Christianity. He was... He had two or three languages. Yeah, he's a smart guy. But I, I was amazed at how young he was and how completely adamant he was about this idea and and i think it traces back he was a protestant and it's their interpretation of uh tithing to the temple i mean there is no mm-hmm. tithe that is unworthy i of, you know to the temple i i don't know reagan's house right. on the hill that but anyways i wanted to say as far as reaganism goes 
I completely am with you, Tom. I hope Reaganism is going away, okay? But I'm a little bit cynical because of, uh, or skeptical, because I don't see how it's going to be possible without a more robust union presence. Because what is going to incentivize these CEOs? Like, I, I understand there's a whole stakeholders versus shareholders debate, and I respect that debate, and I'm not sure. You will shape my opinion on all that, I think. But I just don't see... Here's a news flash for you, Dave. Go ahead. The Financial Times reported over the weekend, or or perhaps it was later on Friday, I didn't have time to mention it on the program on Friday before I got off the air, that Marco Rubio is now supporting the unionization of that Alabama Amazon warehouse. And that's huge, right? A guy who is like one of the one of the five serious contenders for Republican nomination for president in 2024, former, you know, two-time Republican candidate for president, Marco Rubio, is supporting the union effort in Alabama. If that Amazon warehouse goes, it's going to be the beginning of a whole bunch of dominoes falling. And I think you're going to start seeing efforts in, in purple states, you know, like in Michigan, the legislature is still controlled by Republicans. We'll see how long that lasts. But I think you're, as these states get back under control of Democrats, Wisconsin's another one, um, you know, where they've got Democratic governors because the majority of people in the state are voting for Democrats. But even though the majority of the st- people in the state vote for Democrats because of gerrymandering, the Republicans still control the legislatures. I think we're going to start seeing that stuff change. And if H.R. 1 passes, which ends gerrymandering, that kind of stuff will pass quickly. This, that's how important that piece of legislation is. And, and then you're going to see union rights restored. I, I, I just think we're right on the edge of this. And I see that the Republicans are pulling out all the stops to demonize these things. And, and you know, now they're trash talking you know, the American recovery plan and all this stuff. But I think they are trying to shovel sand uh, you know, with a teaspoon at the seashore. I spitting into the wind or pick your terrible metaphor but you know what i'm saying i I think the times have changed and and that's a good thing bill in new tripoli pennsylvania hey bill what's on your mind today hey tom uh just a real positive memory regarding unions that i had from my childhood when i was about seven or eight years old my uh, dad was president of his local chapter afl cio one day he had to have a safe a heavy safe moved into the basement to store some documents down there and he bought with him one of his co-workers union member it was the first time that i had ever been within a couple feet of a an african-american man i grew up in a town that was almost wholly polish italian hungarian background it kind of threw me a bit and the way that my dad and and this gentleman spoke, you could tell that perhaps they weren't best friends, but they were coworkers. They were people that had something in common and they were helping each other out. I spoke with my father briefly about that and you know, he essentially said that in the union they're brothers, that they work for a common cause. And that stuck with me for the rest of my life. And uh, fortunately, later on, I had the uh, opportunity to work in the sciences where, of course, I was able to meet other people from different backgrounds that I had. But that was the first time that I had come into contact with somebody that was different than I was, different than what I had grown up with. And I think that's something that's lost on people is the effect that 
being in a union and being part of an organization where you all have a common cause, uh, the value of that. And uh, you learn mm-hmm. to treat your coworkers as equals, as brothers. You are a brotherhood. So I think that's something that, uh, you know, we need desperately now. We need venues where people understand that we're all in this together. This whole COVID bill that passed, that's a wonderful thing. I think it's going to help a lot of people that desperately need help. But I think equally important is this infrastructure bill that's being talked about, that that go over in a big way and that there are union jobs that are created and that unions are strengthened because I think, uh, again, is something that you don't immediately think about when you think about union membership, but it is a brotherhood and it is a way of people seeing what other people uh, live like and kind of experiencing what they're going through. Your point about encountering somebody who doesn't look like you. I grew up in the in the 50s and 60s as a kid, and the only black faces I ever saw on television, or Hispanic or Asian faces for that matter, were either bad guys or terrible caricatures. And it wasn't until the 90s, I mean, Norman Lear really, really broke this barrier that black people and gay people and people who, quote, didn't look like us started showing up on television where young kids could could see them. And now, you know, we're, we have outside of Fox News, we have, you know, pretty good diversity on television. And, and it, you know, and it's getting better and better as time goes on. And I think that's all good stuff. Thank you very much for that, Bill. Uh, John in Bellingham, Washington. Hey, John, what's up? Hey, Tom. You know, the filibuster can be saved. Joe Manson just needs to go and find 10 Republicans. Because yeah. I don't understand why, they, why the emphasis is put on the Democrats negotiating away large chunks of what we want to pass in order to save this anachronistic, ridiculous filibuster. So you're saying dump this all on Joe Manchin? Say, okay, Joe, you want to keep the filibuster? You got to find 10 Republicans? That's going to be the way it comes down, isn't it? No, I don't think so. I think think what they're going to do is they're going to modify it. They're going to, yeah, well, I hope so. But HR1, it has to pass or it's over. You know, this is a do or die. I need to understand. Same with the PRO Act, by the way expands union rights. You know, if you want to put the economy and the middle class back together, expand union rights, as, as a caller said, several callers have said this morning. But H.R. 1, the For the People Act, which, which establishes essentially your right to vote in the United States, this is do or die legislation, and it ends gerrymandering. It's going to return small d democracy to our democratic republic, to the to the United States of America, and which is why Republicans are fighting it tooth and nail. And you've got groups like Freedom Works calling it the Gag Act because it's going to it's going to force billionaires who, who pour money down the throats of politicians to identify themselves, and they are terrified of that. John, I'm with you. And the filibuster is the thing that's going to stand in the way of it. And frankly, I think that this piece of legislation is going to be the thing that is going to force, it's going to shame the so-called conservative or so-called moderate Democrats into changing their position on the filibuster. I could be wrong, but I hope not. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Hubert in Central City, Pennsylvania. Hey, Hubert, thank you for watching Free Speech TV and and for holding as long as you have. Uh, What's on your mind today? First thing I'd like to say, I love it when you say that good Marine Smedley Darlington Butler's name. Indeed. What you. happened back then, yeah. that was swept under the rug. But now oh, you yeah. see how 
that really was. Oh, and it was FDR who swept it under the rug, Hubert. You know, he was afraid that it would inspire copycat things. I mean, they were actually planning to kidnap him. And I don't think to this day if we know that they were going to just kidnap him or if they were going to kill him. But th- this was a, it was, it's referred to as the businessman's plot if, against FDR. If you want to look it up, it's easy these days to search for. Smedley dog. We had good Marines like that still serving. They had done something yeah. different four years ago, but... What I'm calling about is, why did the Democrats kill 8 to 12 million adults and about 5 million kids? You know, it was, if there's anyone who knows how that happened, it would be you. But how did that happen? And why? I don't know what you're talking about, Hubert. That $1.9 trillion, 8. Right. They cut down from 200000 down to what is ended up at 150000 I guess. Oh, you're talking about the threshold. Like, if you make more than $150,000 a year, you don't get the $1,400 check. This was a demand that Joe Manchin made, was apparently backed by a few other Democrats. These are the so-called conservative Democrats or moderate Democrats. I refer to them as corporate Democrats, but, you know, whatever you want to call them. I mean, I'm happy to have them in the party. I'm happy to have them voting and part of the caucus because that's why we're in the majority right now. But they can also be somewhat problematic. That's something you'd have to take up with Joe Manchin. You mentioned a couple of days ago that you lived in Washington and you were in that bubble there and you think, People down there really get it in their head that they are something. And I think Joe Manchin went through that cycle, you know, when he was the big deal guy. And and there were all these articles about, you know, Joe Biden thinks he's president, but Joe Manchin's actually president. Quack, quack, quack. I think he got taken down a peg when he was originally fighting against this bill because now or against the filibuster, rather, because now he's saying I'm open to modifying the filibuster. Sure, let's do it. Whereas just, you know, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, he would invoke the name of Jesus and said, what do you not understand about never? And then, you know, now he's going, well, okay, we can do this. Uh, You know, I I think, Hubert, that he's going to come along. I think public opinion has turned. I really believe that. It seems to go in these cycles. And I think that we're hitting the end of the Reagan cycle and we're going back into an FDR kind of cycle or an LBJ cycle at the very least. Time will prove me right or wrong. Ruth, in uh, Ione, California? I want to witness some raw history. Anyway, in 1950, I worked in a valve factory, the Eaton Valve Factory in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And at a union meeting, we voted whether to let black people into the union or let women work in the foundry. And the women won. We should be aware that unions were not necessarily perfect in their history. And oh, a absolutely lot of true. Them were exclusive of blacks. Up until the 1960s, yes. Yes, when that became 50s, illegal. 1950, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know that, and I know that my dad worked in the machinist union. He worked at a tool and die shop. It was all white. I don't know that there were, a, well, I can't speak to the history of it, but I do know that many of the unions in Lansing, Michigan, where I grew up, were all white unions, and that that started to change when I was a teenager in the 1960s. And I think it changed because of the Civil Rights Act, basically outlining a lot of that, that kind of stuff. So yeah, spot on. Thank you very much, Ruth, for the testimony from history. Bobby in La Puente, California. Hey, Bobby, what's up? Hey, I love your show, Tom. Give me goosebumps on the union. You know, my experience, I sworn in in 73, you took an oath, 
not to snitch on your brother or sister, and I liked it. <laughs> okay, hmm. I was working part-time. If you got 60 hours a, a month, you can qualify for medical, you know, regular medical, and it came hmm. in handy. Then I got hired permanent, and it just took off. And I met people yeah. from the four directions, black, red, yellow, white. And what an experience, you know, brotherhood. I met a African-American brother, turned me on to collard greens, never had them. I love them. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I isolated. And not only that, the union came to our rescue once for the young guys. Okay, a guy who was a racist, made a racist remark. And me and my brother, he was a, a Sioux from South Dakota. He says, I got these effing, you know, Indians. Mm -hmm. So we called the union. The BA came on a dock. Hey, what's your problem with my uh, steward here? When I come here to visit, all they do is bust their butts working. And man, he shamed that boss where we had other great. seven other business agents real quick and never going to shut the company down. Abertory picket for making a racist remark. Never been so proud. I'm grateful for the union, grateful for free speech and for the people I met in the union. Union dues, I was paying them when I was on work comp. I paid them. I could have took a withdrawal. No, I paid them. So I have no complaint about that. I shouldn't be here alive if it wasn't for the union. And for the young people, believe me, I can't wait for Alabama, what is Amazon, to be organized. Can you imagine, mm -hmm. Tom? Wow, the beacon of light through the south. Finally, these people yep. have been being fleeced, and they got cut, and now they're waking up. Uh, I'm excited. I got mine, but I, I like too. to see others, you know, and get theirs as well. Thank I you. am completely with you. Thank you, and thanks for sharing your story. It's a, it's a beautiful story. Eddie in Agra, Kansas. Hey, Eddie, what's on your mind today? You know, the Bible said, as you have done to the poorest and not meeting their needs, you've done to King God. Did you notice that not one Republican um, supported this stimulus and the thing is we need the stimulus the stimulus is not going for drugs it's not going for things we don't need it's going to uh, keep people in their homes meet their mortgages it's going to uh, make their rent payments it's going to uh, take and help us make our crime payments is may make our car repair let's call these people what they are they support jeff bezos they support warren buffett but they but they're uh, scared to death to uh, support the poor totally with you. He really apparently has not read Matthew 25, and they need to be taking that very seriously because that literally is the only place in the New Testament where the disciples come to Jesus and say, what do we have to do to get into heaven? You know, we want to hang out with you, in the, you know, after we're all dead. How do we do that? And, and Jesus just lays it out. He said, you know, in the final days, I'm going to be sitting here judging people, uh, separating the sheep from the goats is the metaphor he uses. And the sheep are his flock and the goats are the, you know, the, the bad ones. And, uh, and he said that uh, he's going to tell those who didn't feed the, feed the hungry, those who didn't heal the sick, those who didn't visit people in prison, those who didn't get water to the thirsty, those who didn't clothe the naked, which in today's version would be house the homeless, 
Those who didn't do that, he's going to say, go off to hell. Literally. I mean, he literally, he literally says that. Go off to that place, you know, of fire and brimstone. And, and he says, and to those who, who did, uh, you know, come and help. He starts out by saying, feed me and, and like that. And, and the disciples, you know, he says, those of you who didn't feed me when I was hungry, those of you who didn't clothe me when I was naked, and the disciples freak out and say, you know, we never saw you hungry or naked or anything. And, and that's how it ends is he says, well, as you do to the least among you, you have done unto me. Continually baffled, Eddie, by these televangelists and Republican politicians who call themselves Christians. I don't know how they can do it. Exactly, Tom, and that's why I just said, you know, uh, when you do this, you, it's just a bunch of or you know, you guys are worse than the infidels. They are, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Thank you, Eddie, Tom. thank you very much for the call. Yeah, good talking to you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. It is the home of the political revolution. It's fascinating that progressives took over the Nevada Democratic Party. These are specifically people who got together back when Bernie was running for president under, you know, during the primary and uh, organized themselves. And uh, here's, this is the news. Uh, uh, it was over at Raw Story by Bob Brigham. On March 6th, the coalition of progressive candidates backed by the local chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America took over the leadership of the, Democratic, the Nevada Democratic Party, sweeping all five party leadership positions in an election that evening. The incumbents were, had prepared for the loss, having recently moved $450,000 out of the party's coffers and into the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee's account. It's a little sleazy. Um, several key leaders, this is uh, a, a, a quote, uh, several key leaders within the Clark County Democratic Party, including the chairwoman and a handful of executive board committee heads, have resigned as progressive leadership within the county and state parties has swe- swollen, has swelled in recent months. This is from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Uh, quote, the resignations come after months of infighting between progressives and, quote, establishment Democrats over policy platforms. So, you know, guess what? This is what happens when people like you and me get active in local politics. Progressives got active in local politics in Nevada. They said, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna put up with uh, corporate Dems anymore, and we're gonna start per- advancing genuine progressive policy positions that are supported by a majority of the people, and certainly a large majority of Democrats. And the the people who you know the the old guard who had been there for years and years and years just said, okay, that's it, we're out of here. And the progressives are like, cool, see you later. Uh, although they took $450,000 with them. But, you know, hey, it's a start. And I think that this, again, to my point that I opened the show with, I think that the, the Reagan era came to a close this week. I really believe two, three, four years down the road, we're going to look back five, six years down the road, we're going to look back at this week and say, this is when it happened with the passage of this very large piece of legislation that writes so many wrongs beyond just helping people with COVID. And yes, the Republicans are hysterical about it. Um, I, you know, I was on Michael Harrison's podcast, Hawker's Magazine, uh, yesterday with a bunch of right wingers, and they're all like, uh, "How you know? How dare he uh, call it a you know a, a COVID relief bill and uh, there's stuff that doesn't have to do with COVID in there? Uh, you know, helping out black farmers? <laughs> how can you do that?" And my response is, yeah, this, you know, we're, we're, we are writing past wrongs. And it is a good thing. 
and, you know, uh, suck it up. Get used to it, snowflakes. I mean, it's like there's a new day dawning. Or a new day here, I guess, you know, is how you would say it. Lisa in Montreal, Canada. Hey, Lisa, what's on your mind today? No, I was listening uh, when you, you spoke about the uh, Democrats, what happened to, the, to them in uh, uh, Nevada. And I mm -hmm. found it interesting because I saw a segment on uh, Rising. And uh, uh, the book Lucky was uh, uh, released uh, uh, maybe a week or a couple of weeks ago. And they spoke specifically about uh, how the corporate Democrats did everything in their power in order to stop Bernie from winning the primary. Mm -hmm. Everything in their power to have Joe Biden win uh, the primary and then go on to win the presidency. So maybe this has something to do with that uh, the fact that uh, even the, the the establishment Democrats are so afraid of uh, progressive policies because uh, I think that's the way of the future. I mean, I have. I, I think progressive policies. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I think I have friends that I I, I speak with and family in the states, and I think um, it's it's the silent majority that that's pushing all of this. It, it, it's going to get somewhere. And I think both parties, both uh, establishment, I mean, although the, uh, the the Republicans are way off to the right, but uh, this, you know, the, you know, middle, middle, mushy middle uh, Democrats, uh, they're afraid. Yeah, that, and uh, legitimately so. And that's what we saw in Nevada. And I, and I think that you know, you're right, that the establishment really worked against Bernie Sanders, both when he ran against Hillary Clinton and, and when he ran against Joe Biden. And, but, yeah, but, but, he's, but he's now the chairman of the Budget Committee. And he's got tremendous power in the United States Senate. And, and he has huge moral power. That coming. Yeah. yeah, he's got a lot of power. And I, I wish him well. Because mm -hmm. the, the tables have to turn, uh, Tom. Yeah. Because Lisa, a quick Canada, question, if I may ask you about see. Canadian politics. Um, is, yeah. uh, you know, uh, is Trudeau safe and secure? And how, you know, is, is Canada moving in a more progressive direction? Uh, yeah, because um, we just had a big bill here um, uh, on uh, pharmacology, the, the pharmaceuticals. And uh, uh, we have a pretty good health care system, but... Uh, um, Canada wants it to go a little bit more more to the left because since we have experienced the pandemic and things like that, especially the fact for pharmaceuticals. And um, Trudeau just voted, the Liberals voted completely against uh, pharmacology, though, which he ran on in order to mm -hmm. uh, loosen uh, the restrictions on, uh, um, on, on uh, drugs being at a better and more competitive price here in Canada, although it's not bad. Right. And the NDP voted for the bill, and uh, Trudeau completely, uh, you know, turned it down. But come to find out that that was because there was so much lobbyists behind it. The big pharmaceutical companies came out really strong and uh, completely pushed the, um, the uh, nurses and the uh, hospital associations against, uh, that, that were for it out of the picture. Mm. So, you know, lobby, oh, it's money. It's all about money. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Disgusting. Lisa, I need to move along, but thank you for the, thanks for the, uh, for the update. I really appreciate it. Rich in Indianapolis, Indiana. Hey, Rich, what's up? Hi, Tom. Thanks so much. 
Um, I wanted to uh, circle back from last week and give an example of how Fox does a hit piece. And it's okay. specific to what has turned out to be kind of a, an uproar elsewhere uh, about me saying that uh, it's possible that Governor Cuomo is getting smeared. Um, America divided, colon, Gretchen Carlson talks about D.C.'s war on women. That was the title in 2018. You may remember that Gretchen Carlson was Roger Ailes' victim of choice. And mm-hmm. I was very interested in hearing what Gretchen Carlson had to say about this, uh, because I figured that she was you know, coming at this from a, a, a genuine and uh, heartfelt perspective on uh, how misogyny uh, of elite is happening, and uh, it was in the title, D.C.'s War on Women. And mm-hmm. it was actually not as as good as it uh, should have been. It was disingenuous and, quite frankly, opportunistic and cynical because she used it to reinforce harm to Al Franken, as an example, and uh, mm-hmm. held up some other points that were troubling, at least. And yeah. uh, so I think there's 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 two possible realities here, uh, Rich, and they don't have to be mutually exclusive. They can both exist at the yes. same time. Um, yes. And and one is that Cuomo is an SOB, that his dad was, uh, you know, one of these uh, old time party boss kind of politicians who ruled with an iron right, right, fist right. and kept everybody under his thumb. And Cuomo learned at his knee. And, and that's the kind of yeah. politician he is. That's that's possible. In fact, that's that's been always my impression. And how, um, and, and, and that people don't want. No, let me let me just finish this point. Okay, okay, and that people don't want that kind of politician anymore representing them. Right. And the other possibility right. is that Roger Stone or somebody like Roger Stone is doing to Cuomo right now the same thing that he did to to uh, Elliot Spitzer, the, the former governor uh-huh. that they yeah. got out. Um, you know, they tracked down the information about him with hookers and boom, you know, he had to resign. And so it, it, it could be a hit job and the guy's an SOB. And exactly, the question is, exactly. how much of an SOB and, uh, is he? And has he stepped over lines that are just absolutely politically intolerable? Um, or, you know, and, and I don't know the I answer to that. But agree. what I do know is that both New York senators, uh, Jill Brandon and Schumer, so far have not called for him to step down. And virtually all the, de- the elected Democrats in the House of Representatives, uh, led by a- AOC, are calling for him to step down. So I think he's in a very, very tough position here right now. He's saying, let's let the investigation go forward. Um, you know, I'm inclined to agree with that just, just because, uh, you know, if, if it's possible that there is a smear going on here, it should be exposed. But, but I'm also inclined to, uh, to, to assume that uh, most of the charges against him are probably true. So, you know, it's about, like, we'll how see. About right? if, how about if you're a successful um, uh, player of the game in New York, which turns out to be a predator pit, there are these things that we call character flaws that make you a survivor. And I'm not trying to say that it's okay to be bad to women. I am, I am a feminist. I swear to you, I am an anti-racist. Yeah, I no, if he's been playing you, predator, there is no, there's no way he's going to survive this if he's actually been exactly. playing predator. And if he was really trying to cover up deaths in nursing homes, there's no way he's going to survive right this. And well, he needs you. to be nailed for it. But on, Thank you, Rich. But on the other hand, if anything is being hyped here, uh, you know, we need to know about it. But it doesn't look good. <laughs> it doesn't look good. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. 
Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Dick Durbin took to the floor of the Senate. This is uh, absolutely brilliant. He, he takes to the floor of the Senate. And, I, you know, I already shared with you Mitch McConnell's, if you guys try to pass a law that lets everybody vote in America who's qualified to vote, then we're going to have a nuclear explosion. It's going to be scorched earth. So that, that was Mitch McTurtle. So uh, Dick Durbin goes on the floor, and he says, Today, nearly 65 years after Strom Thurmond's marathon defense of Jim Crow, the filibuster is still making a mockery of American democracy. This is the senator from Illinois, Dick Durbin. He's also the, uh, I believe, the number two, uh, I think he's the Senate Senate Majority Whip. Uh, The number two, yeah, he's the number two Democrat in the Senate. The filibuster, Dick Durbin said, is still being misused by some senators to block legislation urgently needed and supported by strong majorities of the American people. This is what hitting legislative rock bottom looks like. Today's filibusters have turned the world's most deliberative body into one of the world's most ineffectual bodies. He went on to say, I support any proposal that ends the misuse of the filibuster. I have long been open to changing the Senate's rules to restore the standing filibuster. See, he's talking about what I call the Jimmy Stewart filibuster. If you want to speak, if you want the American people to hear your opinion on a piece of legislation, Mitch McConnell wants to get up there and talk about why it's so important that we privatize Medicare or why it's so important that we let the the oil companies continue to pump poison into the air, great, let him speak. Let him speak as long as he wants. But when he runs out of steam and finally sits down, have the damn vote. So anyhow, back to Dick Durbin. I have long been open to changing the Senate's rules to restore the standing filibuster. If a senator insists on blocking the will of the Senate, they should have to pay some minimal price of being present. No more phoning it in. I mean, this is how it works right now, right? H.R. 1, the For the People Act, that guarantees voting rights in America and restores some parts of the Voting Rights Act that the Republicans are totally opposed to. Freedom Works, the Koch Networks, you know, kind of house organ, they're calling it the Gag Act. It's going to gag the billionaires. The billionaires are going to be worried that protesters will show up at their home because they're going to have to reveal who they're giving money to. Oh my God, right? This is how bad it is. So they're all flipped out about this. So if the For the People Act, H.R. 1, is presented in the Senate, say Senator, Senator, well, it could be any senator, actually, Schumer, obviously, but drops it on the Senate floor, and a Republican wants to stop it dead in its tracks, literally, Ted Cruz can say, or Marco Rubio can say to his number one aide, please call the aide for Senator Schumer and tell them that I object. Or he can just send an email. I object to H.R. 1. And boom, all of a sudden Schumer has to come up with 60 votes, which is impossible. 
because the Republicans are obstructing absolutely everything, including your $1,400 check. They tried to stop that. Your $300 unemployment benefit, they tried to stop that. Aides going to, to towns and counties so that they can keep their fire departments working and their police departments and their public schools. They tried to block that. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. So anyhow, Durbin says, no more phoning it in. It's time to change the Senate rules and stop holding this Senate hostage. We cannot allow continued misuse of arcane rules to block the will of the American people. I urge my colleagues to defend American democracy by making the changes needed. Four years ago, 31 Senate Democrats signed on to a bipartisan letter urging Senate leadership to preserve the filibuster. So just four years ago, you had 31. But of course, four years ago, the Democrats were in the minority. Now they're in the majority. You see how these things work. But the fact of the matter is that the Democrats in the United States Senate represent 41.5 million more Americans than do the Republicans in the Senate. And that number is going to continue to grow, by the way. So here we have a group of Republicans who are in the minority in the Senate and represent 41 million fewer Americans than the Democrats do who are preventing legislation from passing that is appreciated, liked, wanted, fill in your blood, you know, whatever adjective you want to use, is, is, or, or is that a verb, whatever, by the majority of Americans. They are defying the will of the majority of us. 70% of Republicans wanted the $1,400 checks. All of the Republican senators voted against it. They are defying their own people because they want to keep taking money from lobbyists and billionaires. You get this? It's time to end the filibuster. And it's time to end the privatization of Social Security. Phone number for the Congressional Switchboard, 202-224-3121. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. Call. Let them know what you think. Sue in Molden, Massachusetts. Hey, Sue, what's on your mind? I was reading on Daily Cause yesterday comments about the PRO Act. And I guess the PRO Mm -hmm. Act in the House is one of the things that will... um, help workers be reassigned so that they are not considered independent contractors, can be employees, kind of at a national level, or it may be that it just lets them form unions. I'm not sure the extent of this, but there's a lot of comments in the Daily Cause thing. Um, it's, it's actually written by Cause himself. The PRO Act is a great new law with a fatal flaw, but luckily the fix is easy. And apparently right. Cause is it. suggesting that the best way to define workers is to follow um, the IRS guidelines, uh, which are already set up about who is uh, an employee versus not. And there are a whole bunch of comments by people who uh, own their own businesses or do professional skilled work for a variety of clients that this pro act would be terrible for them because it would not let them work with different clients because they would couldn't be considered employees of everybody and it goes around and around and I'm not sure who yeah. might be a troll, who might be whatever. Yeah, a lot of them, probably the vast majority it. of them, sewer trolls. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot. Right. You know, the the the, the pro act. The, the, there are literally billions of dollars on the line here, because that's the amount. Right. I mean, it's it's, like it's actually trillions. 
that, that these big companies have extracted from employees' paychecks by not allowing them to have unions. And the principal thing that the PRO Act does is it strengthens your right to be to, to have a union. It makes it a lot, you know, it basically passes card check and makes it easier to, to, to have a union. With regard to classifying employees as, as workers or not, um, I, I don't know about that and I need to learn about that. In fact, we, we need to, I, you know, I know Sean has been reaching out to a couple of the unions trying to get somebody on about the PRO Act. And uh, this point that you raise is a good one. I did read that diary that uh, Marcos Melitzas wrote and, and thought it was an excellent one, I, but I'm not uh, sufficiently well informed to be able to directly address right. your That's concerns. That's what so, I'm referring to. I mean, yeah. I Googled yeah. online this, this same act. I yeah, oh, yeah, Sue, I'm sorry. You can't talk like oh. that on the air. Okay, we dumped it. Thank you. Uh, my apologies if that got through to anybody. Janet in Mount Vernon, Washington. Hey, Janet, what's on your mind today? took me a lot of convincing, but by listening to you, we were on a Medicare Advantage plan, and it was a fine plan, but every time we needed to have something done, we had to check with them. Um, and when you mm. travel, especially overseas, forget it. You are on your own. I mean, you're, it's kind of that way anyway, but, but it's when you go to Europe, they, it's much cheaper to get treatment over there. But um, mm. w- if we weren't in this pandemic, we would be having you know, those, the, the, the meetings and things where, you know, at, in, the, in the fall when it's time to choose a plan. And I was literally going to go. I figured they'd throw me out. But, you know, when they have these question and answers, to just explain to people and ask the person doing the presentation, you know, aren't you selling something under false pretenses? Because people don't understand that when they have a Medicare Advantage, they're not going to be talking to Medicare. They're going to be dealing with Medicare. They're going to be dealing with this private company. And That's correct. Yes, we have a Medicare Advantage have is a, not Medicare. And, and, right, and, exactly. and it makes me crazy when they say, get all the benefits entitled to you under Medicare uh, with a Medicare Advantage plan. And a Medicare Advantage plan is not Medicare. It's a private insurance policy that is designed for older people. And the, uh, insur- and the private insurers uh, have their own particular scams for old people that are, you know, in some ways very similar to their scams for, you know, working age people and in some ways different. But uh, they, will, they, will, they will catch you if they can. Well, I was I was uh, really um, kind of horrified about what Alex said, and if I understand it, they're just going to take swaths of people, sections of people, and just switch them mm-hmm. over to like a, a managed plan. It's a t- it's a test. It's a it is it is uh, it's set up as it's being, it was put into the law as research. And they're going to identify regions of the United States, presumably cities or counties, and they're simply going to flip everybody in those regions into essentially Medicare Advantage, into managed care programs that, for which Medicare will pay, just like Medicare pays Medicare Advantage. You know, if, if you have a Medicare Advantage plan, Medicare is giving them piles of money on the back end, um, which is how they can afford to do it. So, so in fact, the Medicare Advantage programs are draining the Medicare trust fund terribly because Medicare Advantage is about 12% more expensive to the government than regular Medicare and it provides fewer benefits to people. So They're very disingenuous when they sell that program and you have to dig hard to find any information on regular Medicare. But it is the way to go. You're absolutely right. It's hard it's hard to find on the internet because the for profit insurance companies have just filled the internet with stuff about Medicare Advantage. You're absolutely right, Janet. Thank you so much for the call. And thank you for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. 
It requires all of us. That includes you. So pitch in, help out, get out there, get active, tag, you're it. Call your local Democratic Party and ask when the next meeting is. Can you zoom into it? It's a big deal. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 